join with me in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, we are grateful for your word. And as we prepare to open it, uh, to study a new book, we ask God that your spirit would fill this place. We ask that you would surprise us. You tell us that your word will never return to you void. And so, Lord, we come with expectation. We come believing that you have a word for us this morning, and we ask that you would pierce us, that you would cut us to the heart, that you would lead us and that you would guide us and that none of us would leave here unchanged. Lord, I pray for this sermon, Lord, that your truth would abound and everything that is not of you would fall away. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Stand one last time as we read this scripture. <clears throat> Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Okay, here we go. Um, well, after 55 weeks, amazingly, of preaching through the Gospel of John, we are now starting a new journey. Uh, we are opening back up the Old Testament, and we are going to be looking at this book of Jonah. And I have been really looking forward to this series for the last couple of months, ever since we started to plan it, because uh, I really believe that God has a special message for us as we study this. Because at the core of this book, this is a story about God's mission to redeem the world and his habit of using unlikely people in the process. As a church, we are entering into a season of transition. We are entering into a time where we will be discerning God's will for the future. What is he asking us to do? How are we going to respond to his call? And those aren't just questions that we're asking as a church. Those are questions that each of us face regularly as individuals, right? God is calling each one of you to a specific role in his mission, a specific role in his story of redemption. And more often than not, like Jonah, we find that his calling on our lives is not what we would have chosen. It's a calling that involves difficulty. It's a calling that has discomfort. It's a, a calling that sometimes just doesn't make any sense to us at all. And in that place, we have to make a choice. Will we follow or... Will we run the other way? Will we trust God's call or will we resist it? 
So that's where we're going to go as we start off this uh, story this morning, as we start off this study. In these first four verses, we're going to see these things. We're going to see the challenging call of God. We're going to see the consequence of running from his call. And then finally, we're going to see the one who runs after us. So let's talk about the challenging call of God. This week, I got to have a very interesting conversation with one of our uh, older members, somebody who is in their 90s, and I always find those conversations to be just a, a glorious opportunity to hear about somebody's life, to hear about their experiences, to learn about uh, things that I didn't get to see firsthand. And this particular person told me that in their more than 90 years of life, they have never seen the, the world, they've never seen our nation more divided than it is right now. And that seems about right to me. It seems like this is the world we live in now, where we're kind of constantly being asked to pick a side. To pick one side of the issue, and then we're, we're told we need to hate the other people who disagree with us. There's no middle ground. There's no nuance. There's no place for discussion. The lines are drawn, and we are told we need to line up. And you know, you've heard these issues, right? Black lives or blue lives. Vaccines or no vaccines. Masks or no masks. Ukraine or Russia. I think the most recent one from the last couple of weeks, Bud Light or Miller Lite, right? <laughs> it seems like there's a new one every single day. Maybe as I list out those issues, your blood pressure is already rising. Maybe some of those issues are ones you really care about. Maybe you're already picturing the people on the other side, the people you disagree with, those morons, the scoundrels, the criminals, those sinners, right? Well, imagine if in one of your more worked up moments, when you're really feeling those feelings deeply, imagine when you're getting really passionate about your point of view, imagine if God said to you, hey, I love those people as much as I love you. And I need you to bring them my word. That might be kind of close to how Jonah felt at the start of this book. And why do I say that? Well, let's look at the text. It starts off by saying, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So here's what we know about Jonah. Jonah, the son of Amittai, he was a prophet. He lived in Israel during the 8th century B.C. He actually shows up in another book of the Bible, uh, another Old Testament book, 2 Kings. There we are told that he, one of his tasks in life was he prophesied to this guy, King Jeroboam II. And we know King Jeroboam, he reigned from about 790 B.C. to about 750 B.C. And scripture also tells us, interestingly enough, that, that this king did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And yet, the message that God gave Jonah for him was a, a pretty favorable message. He told him that the kingdom was going to expand under Jeroboam II's reign. So that's one thing we know. Another thing you need to know 
about the history here is that in 722 B.C., so years after that king died, Israel was conquered by Assyria, wiped out, completely devastated, gone forever, 722 B.C. Now, Nineveh, the city where Jonah was called to preach, was one of the major cities of Assyria. This nation who would eventually take 27,000 Israelites captive and draw them into exile. The area of Nineveh is located in what is now northern Iraq in modern day. And uh, that, this, this moment of conquer, this moment of conquest, resonated throughout the rest of the history of Scripture. And the earliest readers of this book would have been fully aware of that context. This was probably relatively recent news when this took place. All that to say, Nineveh was not a neutral place. They were the bad guys. And even before Jonah's time, they had already earned themselves this reputation for brutality. According to one historian, I have this quote here. That is impossible to read. Can you see that? (laughs) Okay, you can see it. I got it here. The Assyrian war machine was the most efficient military force in the ancient world up until the fall of the empire in 612 BC. The secret to its success was a professionally trained standing army, iron weapons, advanced engineering skills, effective tactics, and most importantly, listen to this part, a complete ruthlessness which came to characterize the Assyrians to their neighbors and subjects and still attaches itself to the reputation of Assyria in modern day. You may not know this, but where Nineveh is is where Isis was. A phrase often repeated by Assyrian kings in their inscriptions regarding the military conquest is, I destroyed, I devastated, And I burned with fire those cities and towns and regions which resisted the Assyrian rule. You know, they sound more like Thanos, right? (laughs) Supervillains here. Now, with that in mind, let's picture the scene. Here is Jonah. Jonah, a man who has been a prophet in the king's court. He's a man who has gotten to rub shoulders with people in power. He, his only written, recorded task that we know was he got to tell these people a relatively positive message about military victories and expanding borders. Uh, a pretty good gig. And now, God wants him to go to Nineveh. So it shouldn't be a surprise that we read in verse 3 that then Jonah ran away from the Lord. Maybe you're wondering, why would he run away, though? Wasn't that message that God gave him, its wickedness has come up before me, that his wrath was coming, that he wanted to crush these people? Isn't that exactly what they would want to happen? Why would he run away? Wouldn't he be happy to deliver this message of judgment that's coming? Well, Thankfully, Jonah tells us why he ran away. We'll get to it in a few weeks. But in Jonah chapter 4, he says that he ran away because, speaking to God, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger 
and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He didn't want to go because he knew what God is like. He knew that he was merciful and gracious, that he wants people to repent and come to him, and he did not want them to know that. The calling to show love to his enemies was too much for Jonah. And so he rejected it. Now we're going to dig into that a lot more over the next few weeks. But for now, I just want to make one point of connection for us. And that is, everyone who follows Jesus gets this kind of call in one way or another. Everybody who follows Jesus gets a call like this in one way or another because the Christian life is what we call a cruciform life. The Christian life is a cross-shaped life. It is a life of sacrifice. It is a life of surrender. The call to follow Jesus is always a call that will challenge your natural way of thinking that will challenge your natural way of living. Paul, in Romans, famously said that we should, he said, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Jonah was a man whose thoughts and opinions were conformed to the world around him. Jonah wasn't special. He actually thought like everybody else at the time thought. But God, God's calling, God's difficult calling required him to be transformed to a different perspective. God's calling required him to see things through heaven's perspective instead of his own. Do you see that? When God told Jonah to go preach to Nineveh, it is the epitome of that verse where God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. This call that Jonah got, it's something he would have never chosen. And in my experience, that's kind of always how it is. That's how God's call always is in our life. Because when God calls us, his intention is never just to give you what you want. It's never to let you have your way. It's not to let you pick and choose the kind of life that's going to make you happy. The purpose of his call is to transform us, to shape us. To make us more like him so the good news of his gospel can go out into this world. But it's a difficult call. It's a challenging call. And we don't like that. <laughs> and so sometimes we just run away instead. So let's talk about the consequence of running here for a minute. You know, this whole book is really a beautifully written portion of Scripture. If you read the commentaries, they talk about the symmetry of the Hebrew, the unique structure of this book. And there are times when the specific wording that the original author chose, those words give us some insight, special insight into the situation 
Um, I really like the way the ESV translates these first two verses because I think it does a good draw, job of drawing out, uh, letting you see kind of some of the Hebrew behind this passage. Verse 2 in the ESV, it points out that God's command to him is, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose, that same word, to flee, to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So the point the scripture is trying to convey here is, it's not just that Jonah disobeyed, but he went the exact opposite way. I told you that Nineveh was in northern Iraq. Well, Tarshish was in Spain. Here's what that would have looked like on a map, if you can see it. Right? It's pretty extreme. It's kind of like telling your kid to clean the room, but instead they just burn the house down. The answer is more than a no. It is radical defiance. And then in verse 4 we read, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Because Jonah ran, God, the Lord of creation, sent a storm that was so powerful that it threatened to destroy the ship and potentially kill every single person on the boat. And I really love the way that Tim Keller puts this. He has a whole book that he's written uh, on, on this book of Jonah. And he says there's a principle at work here in verse 4. It's a principle probably that you have seen before if you've been following the Lord for any amount of time. The principle is this. Sin always has a storm attached to it. The Westminster Confession, it says that sin is disobeying or not conforming to God's law in any way. Another way you could paraphrase that is to say that sin is the choice to go our own way instead of God's way. Sin is the choice to go our own way instead of God's way. And Jonah, well, he does that literally, right? But we all do it in some way. And when we do, there's always a cost. Now, ironically, the world is going to tell you the exact opposite. The world will tell you that the key to happiness, the way to satisfaction in life is to follow your heart. To do whatever you like. Just do what feels right. You know, it's that same vision of the good life people have been singing about for 50 years. It's the same thing that, that Frank Sinatra was singing about. I lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway. And what's more, much more, I did it my way. That sounds right, doesn't it? That's what we've been told our whole lives. Yeah, yeah, I want to do it my way. That sounds great. And it does sound great, until you try it, until you try to live that way. Because what you find 
when you follow your hearts is that you start to realize that some of the things in our hearts, well, they're just not that great. Deep down, we are not the benevolent, altruistic, lovely people that we imagine ourselves to be. Right? Instead, we start to realize as we follow our hearts that we're often very selfish, angry. We're often misguided. And you know, sometimes we're just flat out fools. When we follow our hearts, we, we also might find out that our hearts don't really know what they want. Our desires, they are changing every day, every minute. Our hearts are inconsistent at best. And at their worst, our hearts lead us to hurt, to hurt ourselves, to hurt the people around us. See, the consequence of, of doing it my way is not some big booming ballad of triumph. It's a storm. It's a world that is filled with hurt and pain and sorrow and the consequence of a life that is turned in on itself instead of being lived out for the glory of God. The consequence of sin is a hurricane that we cannot escape. And I, I want to speak to the Christians in the room especially for just a second I, I want you to hear this for what it is. I want you to hear this as a warning. Because I have seen, and I know you've seen it too, I have seen firsthand the destruction that always comes when people run away from God's call and instead pursue some sin that seems like it's going to satisfy them. You know, I had a friend who decided that he wasn't happy in his marriage. And so he had an affair with another woman. And for that fleeting moment of pleasure in his life, he lost everything. That storm that followed, it cost him his job. It cost him his wife. It cost him his children. And that choice he made, it destroyed a whole community of relationships in the process. Don't fall for it, though. Whatever it is, whatever that thing is that's tempting you to turn from the Lord and to run the other way, it may seem like there is life out there, but trust me, it's a storm. It always is. And I'll add, those storms that come, those storms that come from sin, they're not just contained to you and your life. But they impact and they pull in all kinds of innocent bystanders. Right? You're, that storm impacts everybody on the boat, not just you. I mean, look around at this world. If you look around it through the lens of this story, you'll see that a lot of the things that we are dealing with in our world today are simply the storms that have come from a world filled with people going their own way. 
And I get it. I'm sympathetic. I understand that the call to follow Jesus, it's not easy. It's a call that requires you to give up your preferences. It's a call that says we have to do it his way and not our way. But it's because our way leads to death. And only his way leads to life. Sin has a storm attached to it, and it can destroy you. That's the consequence of running. But now I want to talk about the one who runs after us. See, when you consider all the elements of this story, it's very easy to understand why Jonah ran. If I was a pastor and my main job description was praying with the president, rubbing shoulders with people in power, living a relatively comfort li comfortable life among my people, and then God says, now I want you to go and preach to ISIS. I'd be scared. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do that. Plus, add to that that the people of Israel, they really hated the Assyrians. They did not want them to be redeemed. They wanted those vicious and brutal and ruthless people to get the wrath that was coming for them. They wanted them to get the punishment that they deserved. It makes sense that Jonah ran away, right? Knowing those things. I'd probably do the same thing if I were him. But one of the reasons I love preaching from the Old Testament, maybe, who knows, maybe even more than preaching from the New Testament, is I love the way that these stories always point us back to Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus tells the disciples that all of the Old Testament is ultimately about him. And man, that is, you're going to see over these next eight weeks, that is definitely the case with the book of Jonah. Jonah is, 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 is a wonderful story for us to read because on each page, you start to realize more and more that Jesus is the true and better Jonah. See, Jesus was the one who did not waver when God called him to preach the message of salvation to his enemies. Jesus was the one who willingly left the throne room and came to earth in the loving pursuit of us. And instead of hoping that God's wrath was going to be poured out over these sinful people who really deserved it. The gospel is that Jesus came and took God's wrath so that we could be saved. Jonah ran the other way. But Jesus is the one who runs after us. He's the one who runs after you. And that means there's a couple of really important places where I want us to apply this to our life here in the last couple of moments. The first is about those storms. Those storms that come from our sin. Because I know the statistics. And I know my own heart. And I realize that, that some of us here in this room may be in that place where they feel trapped. 
in one of those storms. Maybe there's some sin in your life and it's a secret. Maybe you feel ashamed for it. Maybe you're, you're just ready to give up. But I want to encourage you that, that Jesus, our God, is still in pursuit of you. And in, in the same way that Jonah, he tried to run away from God's presence, but he didn't do it. Because you can't. Well, Jesus promises his people that no one can snatch you out of my hands. You are never too far gone. He is in pursuit of you right now. Whatever it is that you may be going through, he is there with you today. If that's you, don't let another day pass in those dark storm clouds of rebellion. Come back to him right now. He is waiting for you with open arms. The second application I think we need to see from this story is for us as a church, maybe for you as an individual as well. But as we start to consider what God is calling us to do in this new season as a church, who he's calling us to reach, how he is asking us to do that, what is going to keep us from running the other direction when things get hard? What's going to keep you from fleeing when things happen that you don't like? Well, I say the only thing that can prepare us for the call is getting to know Jesus himself. It's for each of us to slow down, to make space in our lives, to actually commune with him to get to know him, to soak in his word, to be filled with his spirit. We need to get to know firsthand that kind of relentless pursuit that I'm talking about. You need to know that Jesus is with you. You need to know that you have a God who loves you, who wants to see your life redeemed and transformed and renewed, and that he's not going to stop, that he hasn't stopped. And if you have a Savior who pursues you like that, well, then how can we not go out and pursue others in the same way? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book from a thousand years ago, from thousands of years ago that speaks so pointedly and, and vividly into our lives today. Lord, people don't change. Our hearts are still prone to wander. But we praise you that by your grace, you're in hot pursuit. We surrender this morning. We wait for you to catch us. We pray that you transform us and guide us and lead us so that we could faithfully follow your call. We pray this in Jesus' name.